Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. we got Dylan Adams on the podcast today. He just went viral on YouTube and TikTok and all that good stuff. Amazing slide guitar player. A lot of fun having him in the studio today. we got a little jam for you coming at the end, so make sure you stick around for that. Um, before we get started with the episode, though, we got to talk about our 100th episode. We're coming at you live from Kingmaker Brewery with Annie Duke for their album release party. It's their first EP they're putting out. It's our 100th episode, uh, 2 p.m. March 5th. Tickets are on sale now. They'll be in the description, so make sure you hit that. We want to thank our sponsors for that event, uh, Canine Social, Shop Music Exchange, Best Buds CBD, uh, and Kingmaker, obviously. So, um, again, March 5th. Hit the link in the description to get your tickets, save some money, and buy them in advance. Any Duke album release party, the whole thing, audience Q&A, we're going to do a raffle giveaway, we're going to do a performance from Annie Dukes at the end of the night, it's going to be a whole thing, we're stoked about it. Anyways, uh, with Dylan Adams today, it was a lot of fun, we talked about all kinds of wild shit, we talked about music industry stuff, we talked about why he's trying to be just like Derek Truck, <laughs> we talked about uh, his influences, obviously, uh, the dude's got an amazing style uh, on slide guitar, it's like nothing you've ever heard before. So um, we get into all that stuff, and we get a little jam at the end, so stick around for that. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is Bottom of the Bill, starting now. This is Bottom of the Bill. Yeah, just, I mean, because some of the stuff were, like, 
he was breaking down like just kind of the rhythmic things that I do and like some of the uh, sort of double stops and things where um, I just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of do them and don't really think about it, but he was kind of really like highlighting that stuff and I was like, okay, that was, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff too was like, um, I think he was right on with where like, um, you know, he was just saying stuff about taking the kind of Almond Brothers sort of sound, but then blending in that like uh, Freddie behind the slide stuff. That's kind of like exactly what I'm kind of trying to go for. Is it crazy, like listening to somebody dissect your style like that? Yeah, dude, it's, it's it was just kind of surreal, especially somebody because I mean I've been a fan of his for years, and um, yeah, it was just really surreal to uh, you know first of all have him like even knowing who I am and like talking about my playing and saying so many nice things, but like uh, but yeah, it's a trip just having someone else just like. Yeah, just pick apart every little aspect of your playing when, like, you know, in the moment when it's happening, you're not really thinking about all that shit. You're just kind of doing it, but... Yeah, or even, like, a lot of the time, like, you're just not thinking about it at all. Right. Like, this is just how I play. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you're not thinking about, like, who, like, what would so-and-so do here or whatever. You're right. just playing. Just kind of doing it, yeah, so... So to hear somebody have, like, a really in-depth, pers- like, perspective about the nuance of what you're doing has got to be fucking wild. Yeah, dude. It's, uh, yeah, it was crazy for sure. I mean, like... Um. Yeah, and like he didn't warn me that he was gonna do that. Like he didn't let me know or anything. And I literally just woke up that morning when he posted it, and my phone was blowing up. Like, oh my gosh, Joel posted it. Dude, is that what you're doing? Me and my girlfriend were just laying in bed watching it, just freaking out. Just That's you know, yeah. Wild, it's so it was so crazy, so crazy. It's still surreal, man. TikTok and I mean social media in general with TikTok has. Got a, got a, you know, it's very controversial, obviously, mm-hmm. but I mean, for so many artists, man, it's such a great uh, platform. Yeah, man, it's it's a great platform to, you know, express yourself and to just, you know, be seen, I feel like. You know, I mean, back in the day before social media and Instagram and all that stuff, I feel like you had to, like, just be out playing all the time and just have the right person see you in person. Right. You know what I mean? Or, like, record something and have the right, you know, have it get circulated and have the right people hear it. But, uh, but yeah, now, I mean, just, like, literally anyone can get, you know, blown up or can, you know, gain a following or have a career online. It's pretty pretty awesome, you know? Yeah, man. So, um, so I want to shift gears a little bit for a second. I do want to get back to all this. Um, do you know who Derek Trucks is? Who? Yeah. <laughs> Derek, 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 our Lord and Savior. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. Now, <laughs> I'm curious, man. Like, how often do you get that when you're playing? A lot. A lot, for sure. Yeah. People. Um. You know, before even before the online stuff, I mean, people would come up and you know definitely make Derek Trucks comparisons, which which is like so flattering. You know what I mean? Like, he's the, the fucking you know. He's the guy, you yeah, know. Totally. He's the—I mean, in my opinion, he's the greatest living slide player, if not like the greatest ever. But, um, but yeah, so people would have come up and you know, they told me, you know, yeah, I made Derek Trust comparisons, and um, and yeah, people comment on the videos a lot too, saying that. Which um, it's it's interesting because it's kind of like there's two sides to it. Where I'm on one hand, I'm really flattered. But on the other hand, I'm also not trying to be a Derek Trucks copy. So when I hear that, sometimes it's like part of me is like, I need to play a little bit less like Derek Trucks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Well, so when I first moved to Jacksonville, I was hitting the Jackson Social Jam a lot. Mm-hmm. And 
Yep, that's where I first met you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. This is like right before you went to Berkeley, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I remember uh, watching you play and just being like blown away. I was like, I had only heard Derek Trucks play like that before. Outside of like, you know, maybe obviously Dwayne Allman and stuff, but your style was so much more evolved than, than that by the point that I saw you, you know, which was, which is why I made the Derek Trucks comparison. And somebody came up to me and they were like, yeah, don't tell him that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's an interesting thing. So, so does it, obviously you're not trying to be a ripoff or anything. It's got to be somewhat flattering mm-hmm. uh, to be compared to him. So I guess I should go back like around, probably around the time that we first met, like those Jackson social days. Um, at the time, like I was so deep into like Derek Trucks going on and saying that part of me, like I kind of was just trying to be like, I just wanted to be like Derek Trucks in every way, you know? be able to play just like him. So I feel like at that time, I probably, you know, it, um, I would have been, like, more stoked to hear that. And be like, yeah, I like this, you know, I'm doing it, you know. But I'd say, like, you know, as the years went on, especially after I kind of I went to Berkeley, um, I kind of started to feel like I need to try and kind of branch out and find something new that hasn't necessarily, you know, that isn't, like, a Derek Trucks clone or this person clone or that clone stuff. Right. Um, and it's hard to, like, to, to not sound like him, first of all, as a slide player. Right. Uh, and even more so when you're playing, uh, you know, blues and southern rock influence blues and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just really no way around it. He's kind of yeah. established the modern vocabulary Absolutely. in that world. Absolutely. So I'm curious, your style has changed you know, drastically since when I saw you at the Jackson Social days. Mm-hmm. What did you do? Do you think the Berkeley experience helped with that? Are you listening to different slide players or just different guitar players in general? Yeah, and I mean, not just guitar players, but different instruments. I mean, right. um, yeah, so I would say that Berkeley was a huge part of it because um, I was exposed to, I was already listening to jazz, you know, a little bit before I went there, but upon going there, I became a lot more exposed to different jazz musicians and jazz harmony and stuff like that, which just kind of naturally keeps its way into my playing. Um, and also, like, actively studying horn players, I think, is a lot of it, yeah. both in, both in like, the traditional straight-ahead jazz sense with, like, you know, like, John Coltrane, Can- Cannonball Adderley, Sonny Rollins, all the guys that you hear about. Right. Um, but also kind of in a funk setting as well. Right. Um, like, uh, uh, Ryan Voidis, is that his name, and from Lettuce? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the sax player with them, you yeah. know, guys like that. But also um, becoming aware of guitarists like um, Joey Landris, Sonny Landris, yeah. Ariel Posen. They're sort of the big three dudes that are, like, doing the um, the fretting behind the slide thing, you know. And I don't, you know, in no way am I a jazz player. Like, I, you know, I, I throw some jazz harmony in there, but, like, I don't consider myself to be a jazz player. But... But yeah, just combining like you know jazz harmony with the thing I was already doing with the Almond Brothers stuff, and kind of taking that spreading behind the slide technique and just kind of working that out. That's um, that's kind of been like the main things that have sort of like uh, that I've worked on over the past maybe like five or six years that have kind of led me to where I'm at right now. Okay. So. And what so when you say spreading behind the slide for those who don't know, are are you talking about? more playing, like, lead to accompany the slide, or are you talking more like comping behind the slide? It's a little bit of both. I mean, it's kind of like, um, there's a few different ways to look at it. In one in one sense, you're playing slide like normal, but you're kind of, you know, you're playing some licks where you would just, like, 
slide up to a note instead of sliding to it, you just kind of lift the slide off the fretboard a little bit and you fret that note instead of, um, you know, instead of sliding to it. And it's kind of incorporating that into lead lines, into soloing and stuff like that. Also into chordal things, which I, I'm not as, you know, good at the chordal stuff. It's more in soloing and lead and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's mainly just, you know, kind of throwing in, like, primarily with slide playing, but, like, throwing in just fretted notes here and there to kind of, like, make lines sound a little bit smoother um, to be able to play a little bit faster and more fluidly. Um, right. Especially so. if you try and play more staccato or, like, you know, hit chromatic, chromatic yeah, runs yeah. and stuff like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely, um, definitely. You know, there's a lot of guys, a lot of guitar players from that jazz world. Obviously, Wes Montgomery, then you have, like, Grant Green, and you have, like, you know, Pat Martino, and guys are mm-hmm. very, like, staccato. Right, that right. You, that, like, even if you're aware of what they're doing as a slide player, there's no way you could cop that on a slide. Exactly. That's Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because if you try and just slide all of that, then it just kind of sounds like shit. Right. <laughs> Unless you're, I mean, I'm sure somebody out there will, you know, get to that point one day, but, like, at least where slide is at right now, there's not really anybody who can play, like, chromatic, um, like you said, staccato, single note lines like that really cleanly, you know. So, yeah, it kind of, it kind of just gives you more dexterity on the slide is the main thing, you know. It kind of allows you to uh, just expand what's possible with it. Right, so. right. Now, I'm curious, something that I've, I've been on a, on a hunt for for a long time that I've never been able to find, maybe, uh, Chris, you might be aware, um, but are there any, like, established slide, like, bebop guys out there? Um, well, I mean, not that you've ever heard of. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the only guy that I can think of, um, which I wanted to mention on here, was um, he's a professor at Berkeley. His name is Dave Tronzo. Um, and, I mean, I wouldn't call it bebop per se, but he is, like, I w- what I would call, like, an avant-garde jazz slide guitar player. Um, he, he also does the kind of fretting behind the slide thing, but he does it in a way that's, like, just you know, literally no one else is doing where he'll be playing like bass lines with his fingers, like descending bass lines while doing like ascending melodies on the slide oh, no shit. and just all of this like crazy stuff. And, um, I actually took one of his classes at Berkeley and, um, that again, kind of all mixed in there, like around the same time of all the other stuff I was getting into. That was kind of like a, you know, catalyst for me to kind of like start to go a little bit of a different path and just like, Almond Brothers knockoff, you know. Right. He was also the one that kind of um, got me to switch from playing slide on my ring finger to my pinky, because that's one thing with running behind the slide. You kind of can't. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've seen some people do it, but it's really difficult to do it with the slide on any finger but your pinky, because you're just having, you know, you, like if you put it on your ring finger, for example, you just have to do these crazy stretches to be able to you know, to reach the notes you're trying to play, and it's just not, you know, it just doesn't work, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, taking his class kind of, like, um, opened my mind to, you know, putting it on my pinky finger and also uh, playing slide and standard tuning as well, because that's, that's kind of, like that, yeah. yeah, that's another thing, because, like, again, just in my pursuit of being, like, you know, miniature Dwayne Almond Derek Trucks <laughs> as a teenager, <laughs> you know, um, was fully in the open E thing, right. you know. Doesn't know that's what uh, Dwayne Allman used for most of his slide work, and Derek Trucks uses entirely for everything. But yeah, that was another part of it was like I was kind of feeling a little bit restricted by the open E stuff after a while, 
just because, you know, kind of like you said, the Derek Trucks and Dwayne Allman sort of like vocabulary is so ingrained in slide playing, it's kind of hard to, um, or it's especially hard to escape from that in the tunings that they use. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I uh, made the switch to standard tuning just to try and kind of break away from that, just to try and find, like, other melodic ideas, you know, within slide playing and stuff. And speaking of, of the jazz and slide guitar stuff, um, in my hunt for that style, early on when I discovered Derek Trucks, I discovered, like, that first record that he, that he did. Mm-hmm. They're doing versions of Mr. Yeah, I was going to say, yep, yep, you know, yep, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and uh, like, they did uh, Afro... Uh, Afro Blue. Yep. It did. Uh, I mean, he's got live versions of like Autumn Leaves and stuff. But the thing that I always found um, a little lackluster with it is that I don't think Derek Trucks has like the jazz vocabulary like right. locked down. I think he understands the theory. I just don't know if he if he worked out the vocabulary totally within his style. Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds like he focused um, mainly on the more, like, modal side of things. Right. Like, the kind of Coltrane thing where it's, like, not so much um, playing to changes and not as much chromatic stuff, but a little bit more of that kind of, like, applying, you know, pentatonic type stuff and, like, Dorian and, you know, stuff like that to, to jazz instead of, like, you know, playing, like, the altered scale or, like, secondary, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, secondary dominant, dominance and stuff like that, you know? definitely not hearing any of that kind of stuff in his playing right. most of the time. There, what was that? There's one song, it's an, it's an F, and it's got, like, these weird changes in it. I can't remember what it's called right um, now. So the live version's great. They jam it out more, but there's a studio version to do. And at the end of the tune, Derek takes, like, two solos in the song. Mm-hmm. And the first one's, like, a, a, you know, typical slide. Great. Um, and then... At the end, he's doing more like a like a modal, you know, yeah. he's like not playing slide. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it, I'm like, that's fucking insane. Like, when he's yeah. playing harmonically, it's so out of the box. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard him play like that before. I haven't heard him play like that since, just on that one tune and that one song. Yeah. Something I hear him do quite a bit, he'll do what's called sidestepping, where you pretty much, you, you just play a lick and then you play it up a half right. step. Or you start out playing it a half step up or down or whatever, and then you, like, resolve it to... So I think that I think he's doing a lot of that. All I do, that's what it is. They brought it up. All I do, that's so, exactly it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, especially with Stone. Exactly. Yeah, yep. right at the beginning. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the fuck yeah. I mean, I, I love the live version of that more than I like the studio version, I think. Um, but just that solo he took at the end, mm-hmm. I was like, God damn, man. And I and like how he's trading with Kofi, too. Uh, yeah, like, it's nasty. All the flutes, so awesome. Oh, man. Speaking of tra- trading, I mean, I... Before I do that, I I took all of my like like sidestepping stuff from Derek Trucks. Like, yeah, yeah. He was like the first guy that I heard because I wasn't super like educated or knowledgeable about about like anything that wasn't super mainstream. Right, I discovered right. you know jam bands, mm-hmm. so I heard him do that. I was like, holy fuck! Yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah, and I saw him do it. I was like, oh, he's just moving it up half a step, yeah, and then he keeps doing it until he resolves it. And it's like now, I, now I do that over like everything. Yeah, it, especially the bars people go eight <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just find one of those little little wheel wheel licks and just like kind of walk it up and people, you know, and like and then resolve it up to the the octave or whatever. Yep. And people are just like, <sighs> oh yeah, like blows everyone's mind. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's something that I I think is really cool about people like Derek. Um, and I definitely owe a lot to him with this. Is where like 
you know, he's playing, like, overall, he's playing a style that is accessible to quite a few people, you know what I mean? But he exposes people to jazz and world music and things like that that they might not have listened to otherwise. And totally. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, like him and, and the original Almond Brothers to an extent and, you know, bands like that, they're kind of like how I got into jazz, you know, because, nice. um, because obviously they were listening to it and you see it in their more jam type tunes like, like with Almond Brothers, like Elizabeth Reed and stuff like that. You know, I mean, I, I heard tunes like that when I was, um, when I was a teenager. So amazing. Like what, and, you know, I was just like, where where did they get that from? Like, where did they get the idea for that? And you go like, oh, well, they listened to Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. And I was like, oh, okay, let me go check that out, you know? So, exactly. so, yeah, that's something that I think is really cool about, like, you know, just that kind of, like, genre. is it can exp- It's like, it's a sort of rock blues kind of based thing. But, um, but yeah, it can expose people, so many people to, like, other it's, types of music, you know? It's why, you know, the Allen Brothers and the Grateful Dead are so important to pop culture, it exposed me to a world that I would have never gotten exposed to. And furthermore, exactly. it made me want to like learn how to improvise and play that kind of music. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So, and they were so much more than a southern rock band. Yes. You know, yes. as I tell that, you know, my like my my dad's a musician, grew up, you know, more like British rock and blues rock mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, so for him, the Almond Brothers, he kind of puts it in the same vein as Skinner. It's not really his thing. I know, I know. That's the thing. It's like, like they're not that at all. They're on such another different like, level. Different level from that. Not know? to take away anything from Skinner. Also, right, right, like, they, they do what they do. You know, and they're fantastic musicians. And again, like you know, a huge influence on pop culture. However, the Almond Brothers are so multifaceted. It's just oh like, God, like, it's like their awareness of different and just the history of music. Like their awareness of it at a time when there wasn't like an internet or like you could just look right, up right. your favorite, you know, jazz standard and, and like learn it. Like you had to like buy records yeah, and, and learn who produced yeah, them, who played on them. Actually, go out and like figure this shit out for yourself. You yeah, know? yeah, mm-hmm. man. And I just feel like you know, again, not taking or, you know, not taking away from the other kind of like more traditional, like, southern rock bands like Skinner and Mark Sucker, they're, they're amazing, but, like, I feel like the Almond Brothers, because of their influences, they, um, and also because of listening to a little bit more of, like, the jazz side of things, they just had such another level of, like, um, just restraint and dynamics and, like, just interplay. And, like, obviously the improvisational aspect is, like, kind of, you know, you don't really see that so much in those other bands, but... I mean, especially like for me, the the Holy Grail is the Fillmore East album. Yeah, you know, that's like yeah, that's that's the thing. But I mean, you know, you listen to that, and it's like, dude, these guys were like younger than us. You know, I'm, I'm only 26, and they were like, you know, these guys were like 22, 23, and playing some of like the most just subtle and intricate and just powerful and dynamic shit. That, you know, ever. <laughs> you know, totally, just, man. I mean, how many how many fucking licks did I cop off that record alone? Both of them, Dickie, Beth, and Dwayne, where it's just like their styles are so different, mm-hmm. and you can really pick like what you want from each of them. Dwayne Allman was so melodic and and kind of wild. Too, yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely, um, definitely. But it just worked so well, and Dickie Best was a lot cleaner. You could really see how he was getting from point A to point B. Yep. You know. Yeah, um, I mean, I always I always say that like every lick that Dickie ever played sounds like it could be the main like melody to a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's he's always like establishing like a motif, expanding on a little bit. New motifs expand on a little bit, you know what I mean? Like every single thing he played, 
is just like a, a theme, you know. And like listening to like the Blue Sky and stuff, it just like it goes forever. Mm-hmm. And their solos are just like perfect the entire time. Oh, I know. If I go back and listen to a solo of mine improvised, it's like you know two minutes or three minutes long. There's a whole lot happening there that I don't want anybody to do. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Kind of recycling ideas and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the thing too, man. Like, yeah, they they just were like an infinite well of like, you know, just ideas. They're trying to actually like say something to tell a story with their solos, you know? Exactly. And yeah, and I, I think Dwayne kind of went about it, like you said, in a little bit of more wild, fiery, crazy kind of way, you know? Yeah. But still, it was just like the perfect complement for each other. Totally. And I mean, also, like for me, like it's not just about the guitars for them. I mean, the whole band is just like, you can just tell that they're just always listening to each other. Yep. And um, yeah, just, yeah, I don't know. I can just go on all day about them. <laughs> there was a great yeah. uh, interview with Derek Cox. You've probably seen it where um, he was talking about uh, uh, one of their um, stagehands that they bring on the road with them. They call him like Red Dog or. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's uh, on the back of the Don't Worry cover. Yeah, he's right. one of the original guys. Yeah. So um, they were on the road. I think they were playing uh, a festival with Fish or something. He was like. Dude, come on, guys, you gotta fucking jam like fish, man. You gotta fucking, you gotta jam. You just gotta like, just, just really go for it tonight. You know what I mean? Just really go for this it. Is Red Dog, yeah. Gotcha. Just yeah. really, just, 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 just go for it. You know. So they did, and then Derek Tuck talked about that, and he was like, "We had a fucking crazy jam." At the end of the night, we're on the bus, and you know, we're all just hanging out, and fucking Greg walks in, just storming, and like, "All right, who's a goddamn fish fan?" <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and Derek, Derek just goes like. He's like, not me. I can't stand those guys. <laughs> oh shit! Ooh. Shots fired. Uh oh. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say I can't stand no, them. I like fish a lot, but they're, they're amazing. Yeah, I mean, they're like they are great. I I have they're just not really like my thing. Same, yeah. You know, like they um, and I probably just haven't listened to enough fish, honestly. But to me, it's like they're a little bit more like um, they just kind of like find something to vamp on and then, like, just kind of do that for about 20 minutes straight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, to me, they're, I mean, their sound doesn't, it's not as, like, it's not as dynamic as some other, you know? That's an interesting take. Maybe, maybe, I probably just haven't listened to I would say I would urge you to listen to some more fish. I'm not, I'm not saying this as a huge fish fan. Like, I am the first person to tell you, like, the same thing with the dead. Like, it gets too weird sometimes. <laughs> right. I can't, like, I like songs, you know what I mean? I like a good jam. Um, but it gets a little weird sometimes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of their songs, I'm just not into. Some of them are like these classical masterpieces that you're just right. like, well, how did you do that? And then write a fucking song about a dog. Right. Just one chord for ten minutes. Exactly. You know yeah. I mean? And like kind of goofy, silly lyrics. Because, yeah, I've heard some of those too. Like, I can't name any of their songs or anything. But, like, uh, yeah, they're, they're almost like comedy songs yeah. to an extent, which is like, it's like cool, but it's just that doesn't really like move me in the same way that like I don't know what other stuff does. So. Man, uh, have you seen Fish Live? No, I've seen um, Trey Anastasio been live before though. Different experience. Okay. He's great too. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it was like they were great. together. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We were on the road back in 2017, maybe 2018. We were doing just the Southeast run or whatever, and. Um, the last day, or the last day we were on the road, we had off, right? So we were just going to use it as a travel day. Mm-hmm. And our bass player at the time, Sean, he was like, hey guys, Fish is going to be in Alpharetta. So we gotcha. should go see them. And also it's Sunday. So, you know, obviously you never miss a Sunday show. Right, right. 
so, you know, I'd never seen them. Aaron had never seen them. Billy had seen them, like, once before, I think. And I was like, fuck it. Cheap enough. I'll go. You know, it'll be fun. We got a big Airbnb and Alpharetta. We'll hang out, whatever. So we went there and go to the show. And what I experienced was a master class (laughs) in improv and communication. Okay. Right? I can't tell you one song better. (laughs) Okay. Um, I wasn't, like, I wasn't drinking that much. I wasn't on drugs. I was just observing. Yeah. And um, I I can say that every musician should go and see that band play live, especially if you like to improvise and you're a fan of just improv in general. Those guys are so tuned in to something that I don't know that I mean, you know, 30, 40 years of playing together. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, nothing really beats that, you know. Yeah, The man. telepathy that happens, you know, even even playing with a band for, like, you know, two or three years, that can start to happen, so I can only it imagine, happens. like, <laughs> you know. And not just decades. Yeah, man, and beyond them, like, how 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 much of an integral part the, the fans are of the show, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, the fans know based off certain motifs that the band's doing, what song's coming next, right? right. Like where they're going to go. Yep. And yep. then if they do it, then the fans will throw up, like, fuck, I mean, the entire amphitheater is throwing glow sticks in the air. <laughs> and the really? band's obviously feeding off that, which is going to affect how they play. And yep. I, that affects yep. how the crowd interacts with that. Yeah, it's like a feedback loop. Yeah, right. man, it's insane. I've seen, wow. I've seen something similar with, like, Dark Star Orchestra. Yeah, I was, saw them once at yeah, Bonavie's Concert Hall. Yeah, man. I, I was also on mushrooms when I saw them, so I was like, you know, <laughs> there's I, every time, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but this was different. You know, I saw them. I saw Dark Star at a small club in in Fort Lauderdale, um, which is different than watching a band control five thousand person amphitheater. Right. You know, right. At that level, it's just like. So after that, I was I, I was totally on the wagon. I didn't start listening to shows and like listening to all their songs. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not a fan of their music like that. Right. That being said, one of the best live shows I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to check some of their stuff out when I, when I go home then, because yeah, I guess I just haven't given them enough enough time, you know. Yeah. Sometimes, because I feel like it does, you know, some things can kind of take a minute to really sink in, yeah. for you to really get it, you know. I know that was how jazz was for me. It, it took like few times going to listen to the kind of blue for it to like kind of I was like okay I get it now <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean it's so true. I still have a hard time sometimes you know Billy and I would go back and forth a lot because he just doesn't like it at all gotcha. and I'm like I don't come from that from the jazz world but I really do appreciate it mm-hmm. that being said I'm not like really listening to it a lot in my spare time I bebop is like not my thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean sometimes it's just not like the most listenable music you know what I mean like yeah. Sometimes it's just a little bit too out, it's too inaccessible, especially the more, like, kind of avant-garde you get, then it can just be, like, you know, it's like, yeah, I get it, it's art, but, like, is this, am I enjoying myself right now? <laughs> like, yeah, no. man, I was on some Migas records where I'm like, what the fuck are you, is happening? No, I love me some Migas, dude, I love Migas. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, that, that record is so good. Yeah. I love it. It's like, uh, it's like a beautiful cacophony. And uh, I don't know. I kind of I like to say the first song on that, the first tune on that is like um, I forget what it's called, but it's I just think of it as like a fucked up blues. <laughs> it's yeah. like you know, it's like blues type ideas, but it's all just like everyone's kind of playing at once and just yeah. craziness. But I love it. Like yeah, so. that that stuff is hard for me because I just again like I didn't you know I'm not coming from a, from a perspective of like 
you know, listen to it from this perspective, right? I'm like right, listening right. to it as somebody that, you know, is, again, I like songs first. Mm-hmm. So I hear that. Now, there's stuff like, you know, like I, I think Freddie Hubbard is one of the greatest oh, yeah. of all time, right? Absolutely. But I listen to him play, and everything that he does is so melodic and mm-hmm. beautiful. And his, and his, his tone is just ridiculous. It's yeah. Really warm and round, yeah. Totally, man. And, like, yeah. his phrasing and his timing, it's, it's all... I can really latch on and sink my teeth into that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when there's just, like, experimental noise happening everywhere, I don't know what to latch on to. Yeah, you know? I know. Like, that's like for me, like, I, I'm a huge Coltrane fan. But once it gets into the kind of later period stuff, like in the couple years before he died, where he started to kind of go full on, like, free jazz, where he's just kind of, like, just making noise pretty much, you know? Like, that's the kind of shit where I'm just like, I just can't, like, it's maybe one day it'll click, but like I'm just like oh, I just can't do it, man. I, there's got to be some kind of groove, some kind of right. some kind of melody, you know. Like even for me, like even if there's not like a like a strict like song form or anything like that, like as long as there's like groove and or melody, then like I'm in, you know. Totally. But like there's guys I listen to that that do play like more, um, you know. Obscure, or like maybe even more like bebop style. Like I like Cannibal Adderley a lot. Yes, he's one of my favorites because he's got more of that kind of blues and soul exactly. kind of spin on it. And like to me, he is like out of all of the classic sax players, like he makes it sound the most effortless out of all of them. And like yep. he's like he doesn't. It sounds like he's just like strolling down, just taking a little walk down the street, but like playing the most like fire shit you've ever heard totally <laughs> man totally I love that kind of stuff you know mm-hmm. so for me there's a happy medium like there's a lot of jazz that I really appreciate and like there's a lot of it that escapes me mm-hmm. and I have to appreciate the fact that those guys could experiment to that level because they were so far advanced or they lived in a different world oh yeah right yeah. so they were so far beyond like just even the most advanced musicians that we know. Right. That they right. could live in that chaos and figure out how to make sense of it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I don't have that perspective, so I can't get, get there with them, unfortunately, you know. Yeah, I feel like unless you, you know, really grew up on that type of music and, like, um, you know, really playing it from a young age, I feel like it's it's really hard to kind of reach that, that level. Because, like, I, I'm at a point where I, I mean, I do listen to jazz just in my free time quite a bit, and I love it. But it's just like it's you know no matter how much I work on it and how much I practice it it's always going to be this like kind of unattainable right. thing like you know I can I can like throw chromatic stuff into my playing there's certain concepts from jazz that I like use all the time but like you know like I know that I'll never be like a jazz musician or like never be on that level that those guys ever were you know well you gotta live in that world man there was an interview with Larry Carlton and he talked about it um, where uh, the guy was asking him so you know you've done you know, you've done smooth jazz, you've done, like, you know, right. <laughs> you've done, like, more bluesy stuff. You've done, <laughs> it's like you've done, like, all these different styles of jazz. Like, are you going to do a bebop record? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't think so. He's like, because you really got to live in that space. And he's like, I'm just not there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I thought that was an interesting acknowledgement from him because, to me, he's one of the greatest. Right? Uh, Larry Carlton. Absolutely. Yeah, and, I mean, a lot of people would consider him to be a bad guitarist, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's, so. he's, to me, he's, he's like a blues guy mm-hmm. that 
that also understands jazz. Like yeah, kind of like Robin Ford too, is in that same totally. Yeah. Robin Ford, I'd say, has a bit more of a fusion and like rock element to what he does. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very similar in the sense where it's very blues based. Larry Carlton, he understands jazz, right? Right. He, he right. gets it. Mm-hmm. It's just not what he, you know, he. It's not his thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like hearing him say that, I was like, that's a really good point. Like you have to, if you're gonna really cop a style. You gotta live in that style. If you got hired to play in a jazz band five nights a week, you would for sure become a jazz player, right? You know? Right. But if anything short of that, like, yeah, it's just not gonna happen. Right. Know? Right. So. I've had that's a that's a, a hard realization for me too. Is I like so many different styles. Like I like I hear West Montgomery. I'm like I want like I want to do that. Mm. And I'll get like a couple of things and then I move on. And it's like, well, I love Larry Carlton. I want to do that. It's okay. Well, I love you know Danny Gatton. I want to do that. I love Derek Trucks. I want to do right. that. But it's like unless you really just like fully immerse yourself in that, then it's just, you kind of just can't. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Unless you are. I feel like there are some rare players out there who can like they kind of can do it all. You know. Like have you ever? I mean, I'm sure you heard of uh, Greg Cox. Oh yeah. Online, like guys like that. I mean, like specifically him, he can fucking do like literally anything. Yeah. Like, if Julian you, Lee, you know. Yep. Yep. Other guy who like authentically like play bluegrass and then just play like the most stripped down like jazz trio you've heard. Yeah, man, insane. But, yeah, I've been listening to him quite a bit actually. Like, yeah, I've, I've been stuck in him for a long time. Like last like month or two, I've just been only listening to his newest record. It's yeah, unreal, man. Tributary is that the name? Yes. Yeah, yeah. God damn it, bro. His his like, I mean, like obviously like the way that he comps and like voice leads and all that, but his timing. I know, man, and his dynamics too. Like yeah. he, he'll go from like you know just like barely like whispering to just like digging into it and then right back, and his band is right there with him, right. you know. And um, I think uh, actually, so uh, Rex Stoll made a video talking about him, and he he said that like, uh, and he was like, I think this might be the best guitar player of all time, and I kind of agree with him. Like that uh, Callings that he plays is basically like a Greg Sulajet yeah. with the Dinosonic pickup in it, like on the neck pickup, like. The way, like, you know, obviously his his hands and his playing are a huge part of it, but just the way that, um, I don't know, that guitar is just, like, the perfect, just just warm but still clear and um, articulate, and, like, it has just, like, the tiniest little bit of grit on it, but it's still clean, you know? His right-hand so independence good. is, mm-hmm. like, stupid, too. We were listening, yeah. Chris and I were listening to a tune recently, and we were like, no, he, uh, I think it was off that record, actually, and we were like, we were like, no, he's definitely overdubbing that. There's no fucking way. And then later that night, because I've been doing these Pat Metheny, like, etudes, just, like, you know, one of the stuff. I was like, yeah. I wonder if Julian Lage has any. And we found one on YouTube where he was playing through it. And I was, and we were like, no, he wasn't overdubbing anything. That's <laughs> right. just, you just, that, just do that. That's the fir- is that the first thing that's just called etude? Yeah. 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 Six to not. It was the most unreal shit I've ever seen a guitar player do. Dude. Like, just, yeah. I, I mean... Like he was like you know playing bass lines and then comping but just like out of time with each other I mean yeah it's 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 annoying because like how do you like contribute to the world that like (laughs) you love right right when When guys like that are just like shitting all over everything any of us can do yeah (laughs) which I applaud you for uh, picking up a slide and like approaching that because the first time I heard Derek Trucks I put my slide down forever. Like, what made you want to get in the slide, and when did you pick it up? Where it all started for me was um, the Bill Maurice album. Mm-hmm. I heard it when I was um, 15 years old. My dad has been a huge fan of Allen Brothers for his whole life, um, since the early 70s. And um, 
that uh, yeah, that album was playing around the house, and he would listen to it from time to time. And I like didn't quite get it yet when I was a kid. You know, I was into like ACDC, even like right, you know, yeah. like that that kind of thing. It's like big classic rock stuff. So like stuff that was that you know kind of subtle wasn't quite you know getting there yet. But one day when I was um, 15, I uh, put on um, or I think like Allman Brothers somehow ended up on my iPod, and I don't like I like it. I didn't put it there, but it just ended up there. And I just was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check this out. And Statesboro Blues from Fillmore East album was, mm-hmm. was on there. And I hit play, and it was like a literal epiphany. Like, I just I heard what he was doing, and it was just, it just blew my mind that that kind of sound could come out of a guitar with a slide. You know, especially, particularly, I think the thing that really got me was like, that part, like the second chorus of the solo, when he uh, goes up way high up to like the 22nd fret yeah. and does all that stuff, and that like that that last like that like, you know that fast stuff that he right. does. I was like, you know, because the only times I picked up a slide before, I just was like, you know, like it just just making noise on it. I was just you know going from that to like hearing what could be done on it. Just I don't know, it just absolutely blew my mind and. um I just wanted to, like, I just dropped everything else out I, I was working on at the time, and I just wanted to, like, learn how to do that, you know? Um, it was just such a striking sound to me, and... Um, Did you ever go back and listen to the guys that he was listening to, like, Elmore James? Oh, yeah. Stuff like that? Yep, definitely. That was a little bit later. I would say, like, you know, for the first maybe year or so, it was all just head first into that somewhere east and, like, you know, the early Dwayne Allman type stuff, but... But yeah, I was um, yeah I was definitely listening to some like Elmore James and uh, Blind Willie Johnson yeah. is a is a great one. I think he's kind of of like that era, like that real early blues stuff. I think he's probably the most like technically advanced slide player. Yeah, but that, um, yeah, some of that early Delta stuff. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Well. yeah, yeah, right, right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I also had a little bit of a Rory Gallagher phase for a little bit there. Okay. Listen to him quite a bit. Um, and uh, early Muddy Water stuff. And, you know, it's funny, like, he plays slide, but um, uh, almost more than his slide playing, like, from that early stuff, hearing Little Walter's harmonica playing, that had a pretty big influence on my slide playing early on because, like, those licks that he does just lay out so perfectly on slide, and they're so expressive and, like, you know, just the perfect amount of, like, technicality for it and just, like, yeah. Were you playing in open tuning at that point? Yep. Right. So diatonic, it makes sense. It's mm-hmm. all diatonic movement on the harmonica yep. too, so that makes sense. Yep. And it's all on, on the, with open tuning, it's all just in that one little, I mean, the majority of that classic like blues stuff, you can play in just like a little two fret box, depending on what key you're in. Right. You can go outside of that, of course, but like, yeah, most of those licks that you hear are just like in, they're in like a, such a little small area, so they're easy to grab. Yeah. So, there was, man, Little Walter is not a guy that's talked about enough in the um, the advancement of the harmonica. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, I mean, he was probably one of the first guys to, like, plug a microphone into a guitar amp yeah. and use the harp that way to give it more of that kind of nasty, like, raw sound. Yeah. But just that, and, like, I feel like that kind of let him, like, explore more, like, single note, kind of intricate lines than anyone was doing at that time, you know? He was the first harmonica player, I think, really, that became, that was, like, an artist. You know, yeah. In the sense, not an artist in the sense of like creativity necessarily, although a lot like he was, he was definitely pushing the envelope in that realm. But at, like where he's the guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you know, there's that that scene from uh, was it Chess Records? Yeah, or Cadillac uh, Records. Cadillac Records, yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 
was playing with Willie Dixon, mm-hmm. Muddy Waters. They were recording a track, and then it's a muddy track, right? Right. But then Lil Walter starts playing, and they're looking back at him like, hey, man, like, you're kind of stealing the show. Right, yeah. You know, it's, he kind of becomes, like, the featured, like, soloist, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when that had never been really, like, done on the harp before, I feel like. Exactly. It was more yeah. like, like, you know, accompaniment or, like, kind of, like, provided a, uh, you know, an atmosphere, a landscape. Right. You know, and right. then he kind of took it. I played with a harmonica player for a while, um, and he always talked about Lil Walter, like, pulling, you know, like, jazz influence and, mm. you know, the, like, the licks that he would play and his technique that was so, like, you know, um, advanced for, for the time and stuff. He's not talked about enough as far as people that advanced music of that era. I know? agree, man. I agree, yeah. And his, and his rhythmic, like, pocket was so tight, too. I yeah. mean, like, with, uh, you know, both his solos and his accompaniment, like, he would just do the perfect little, like, he always would find the perfect little just, like, just kind of part. Because, dude, that's one thing about harmonica players a lot a lot of times. Like, they just, like, wail the entire yeah. time. They just don't know when to stop. But, you know, someone like him, he, you know, like Lil Walter, he just, like, you know, he would just find the perfect little part and just, like, not be too loud, just kind of fit in the mix just right. And, uh, like, I was actually today, I was listening to um old, old Muddy Waters song called uh, Blow Wind Blow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, like, you know, anyone out there, like, go listen to that one. That's, like, the perfect... Um, oh, there she is. Hey. Melody. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lick his face, Mel. <laughs> nice to meet you. What's your name? Melody. Oh. Mel, stop. <laughs> Sorry. He was no, we're good. Hi. Yeah, man. <laughs> you like the Melody show now? Yeah. <laughs> Go get him, Mel. <laughs> so, what were you saying? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically that song, Blow and Blow, I was listening to that today, and that's like, um, yeah, that's probably my favorite little Walter track, um, just because pretty much all the same things I said, he like, hey, he throws in like the perfect little accompaniment, accompaniments in there, and like his solo is just, it's like, it sounds like Dwayne Allman, or I guess Dwayne Allman sounds like him, but like, it sounds like a, like a slide guitar solo, you know, and um, yeah, that's one that I've like transcribed and like played along with a lot and stuff. Really? But, yeah, like that that song in particular always stood out for for me. I was like, damn, like that's yeah, I love what he does on that one. Yeah, he was an interesting player, man, for sure. Absolutely, man. Um, so, all right, so you're listening to Dwayne Allman when you're coming up. That's why you picked up the slide. You were not intimidated at all when you, once you yeah. Discovered okay, so yeah, that's uh, that's where I want to get to. So like, um, it wasn't an intimidating thing. It was just like, wow, that's really awesome. Uh, I'm gonna like, you know, just throw myself at this. I just need to learn how to do it. Like, I don't yeah, know. Totally. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. Just, like, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I guess it was more inspiring than it was, like, intimidating for me. It was, like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, I want to do that. <laughs> so, you already had, like, a baseline for, for playing the slide as well, right? It, like, you knew how to use a slide already. It wasn't right. just, like, well. Yeah, I can imagine, like, if I had heard Derek first and not, like, kind of messed with the Dwayne Allman stuff for a little bit, I can I can understand how that could be a little bit, like, inaccessible, just, like, yeah, kind cause, of possible. Because I do a little bit of slide stuff. I would never play slide live. Not a chance in hell. I used to try, man. <laughs> stage is the best uh, I've tried. practice. <laughs> I've tried. It's not going to happen again. <laughs> the thing is, I don't practice it enough in my spare time. What I yeah. do is when I'm recording, like, I can learn stuff. Right, mm-hmm. like on slide, I've re- I played slide on, on Side Hustle's last album. I played slide on, um, you know, some collaborations that I've done. I've actually transcribed some aerial posts and stuff, uh, cool. you know, cool. just for a slab that I was doing. 
and then I uh, I did slide on my first EP, like just on a couple of little things. Mm-hmm. So like I can pick it up, learn a part, and then put it down and just never play and then, that like, part again. Like forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and part of the reason a lot of that for me is like you know there was a time when I was messing around with it more. Especially when I discovered the Almond Brothers, like really discovered them, I was like, okay. And then uh, at some point, um, I this is how I got introduced to Derek Trucks because I was listening to I bought this, this Herbie record um, called I think it was I think it was the Imagine Project or Possibilities. I can't remember. Yeah, they did Space Guys. Right? Yeah, yep. And I heard uh, you know I, I heard that song, and then at the end. Uh, Kofi, Herbie, and uh, Derek are trading. Oh, what? And there's this fucking run that he does. He, like uh, Herbie plays this chromatic thing, and then and then Derek mimics it, doing it on slides, like the magical thing he does. Um, and I was like, God damn, that was nasty. And then Kofi comes in and does something wild, and Derek was like, I'm not going to even try that. I'm just going to do what I do. Right. And he plays this one, this screaming yeah, doing this gospel, gospel licks and stuff. Yeah. I, I heard that and I, and I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? <laughs> right. I heard that. I was like, I can't do this. This is not for me. So but how old were you when you, uh, when you found that? Like, 21, I think. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, because for me, I think my age was part of it, like, because I was too, like, naive to even really understand, like, how fucking crazy right. <laughs> the stuff they were doing was, you know? Right. So, right. yeah, like, that's, you know. Yeah, and at that time, I just started meeting, like, I just started playing with these guys that were going to, you know, they were graduated from University of Miami with a jazz studies program, mm-hmm. and, you know, guys that were older than me that were, like, you know, killing musicians, and they put me in my place real fast as far as like what I needed to do to be a better player. Right, right. So just, you know, relearning, like I spent eight hours a day working on the major scale, all the different modes of that. Mm-hmm, I started mm-hmm. buying books and taught myself theory and all that shit. Yep. And I was like, I just need to get a grasp on how to play the instrument. Right, <laughs> right yeah. I can't worry about yeah. trying to be like Derek Trucks in the slide. <laughs> You know, yep. and then yep. enough time passed, and I was like, this is, you know, this is not my, my ball game, you know. Yeah, see, that's, you know, that, that totally makes sense, like, that kind of progression, and just, like, it's it seeming kind of unattainable, because I feel like, I, you know, if, if I had kind of been in that same boat, I would have done the exact same thing, just been like, yeah, it's like, that's a bit much, <laughs> you know. I'm kind of glad I sort of learned the way I did, because, um, and, like, was introduced to their music in the way that I was, because, like, I basically was learning the stuff all by ear and a little bit from just like watching videos and stuff but like um and I had pretty much no theory knowledge whatsoever and I like kind of didn't care <laughs> I didn't like know what I didn't know so uh, like I literally all I cared about was just like being able to sound like that and it wasn't until I had already been doing that stuff for several years and you know um was in like you know went to Berkeley, and even a little bit before that, too, but, like, mainly when I went to Berkeley, um, I already could kind of play the stuff, sort of, you know, I could already play it, de- like, decently well, and um, I was, like, already kind of playing stuff that I would eventually learn, like, you know, learn about in school. Right. So, yeah, once once I, like, I could already kind of do the stuff, then I learned what it actually was that I was playing, you know, like, right. in, in the kind of academic sense and, like, music theory sense, and 
I think um, I think that's a good way to do it because like it just you know you can just get the stuff under your fingers without like really thinking about it too much you know you just like kind of learn how to like do the get the muscle memory down and execute it and then you can like learn what it actually is later. Man, you saw, I'm sure you met these kids like when they're getting started and they're, they're trying to map out the fretboard. Right. They've got all their shit. I'm like, bro, just learn how to hear some chords. Right. Do this and then learn a pentatonic scale. Yep. And yep. like, and don't don't even learn the scale. Learn some licks and then figure out like how it all makes sense. Just exactly. keep doing that. And then eventually you're going to get to a point and just keep listening to music. Do that. Especially if you're already like you know 18, 19, 20 years old, right? Or you're not like eight, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if you don't have it at this point yet, then just learn how to play and listen to the stuff you want to learn how to play and and cop that, and then go back later because it's done to you. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, get too lost in the sauce of the, of like all the you know numbers and Roman numerals and shit and like with the scale position and that. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Position. Like, dude, I actually <laughs> I have a coworker who. Um, like, he's actually an older guy. He's, like, in his 60s. But right now he's at a point in his playing where he's trying to both in- improve, like, his actual ability but also learn all the theory shit. A lot of it he gets, but, like, uh, a lot, most of it, or not most of it, but, like, a good amount of it, he just, his brain is just getting so twisted by, like, and it's just, like, really, like, messing him up and, like, it's really, like, kind of limiting what he can do. And he even says, like, you know, while he's trying to play, he just gets too wrapped up in the shit and just yep. can't make music anymore because he's just too, like, focused on the numbers and the positions and the this and the that. Totally, so, man. That, yeah, and, I, and I've told him, I'm like, dude, just listen to solos. Like, you Literally, know. and don't think about it. Just yeah. listen. It's, mm-hmm. Your ears are the most important part. The rest of it is just language. It's just yep. communication. Yep. You know, if you can hear it and you can play it, that's the whole battle. Yep, exactly. You know, yep. so... Because, like, I, I was, like, I, I started playing when I was 14, but, like, I just, you know, I fucked around in high school and didn't really, like, practice. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, just chords, wrote a couple songs or whatever, learned the pentatonic scale and just never practiced. Right. Yep. When I got linked up with these guys who were going to school, that's when I really realized, and I was like, oh, shit. So I was, like, practicing and listening, and, like, eight hours a day, again, just running scales and modes, and then I bought books and the theory thing. And it, I mean, for so long. I was sitting there thinking, like, okay, this is Mixolydian, how does this work here? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, how can I, you know, here's an inversion of this chord. How do I make this work? You know, right, and right. not really understanding, but trying to, like, figure it out. Yeah, not, not like, um, you know, not understanding the musical context of it. It's just more of, like, a, like a kind of isolated thing. Totally. You know, and I, yeah, without that musical context, it's just easy to get lost in. Yeah, man, and it does nothing. And I, and I started playing in the blues band, and then that guy, you know, Rock and Jake band, it was a great experience. That guy was just like, hey, man, just play the blues. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And then he told me that it sucked before many big shows that we had. <laughs> like, uh, so that was a different learning just experience. Just like, oh, yeah, by the way, you said, and then you walk on stage. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not talking like amphitheater-level shows, you know, where he's like, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but he was right. I was sitting there, like, trying to, like, I'm listening to a lot of, like, jam bands and stuff. I'm trying to, like, mm-hmm. you know, get all these, like, little, you know, jazzy things. And then, you know, and, and with that, 
with, with the blues. He was just, just played the blues, man. But I couldn't do that because I was too worried about, like, yeah, all like, the oh, other like, Oh, am I going to hit the major third on this one once, once this tape comes around? Like, so, yeah. I guess why I didn't. I was too busy thinking about it, so you missed it, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, man. And, just, like, and also just not copying the blues, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I left his band where I started really, like, copying blues that I, I had a new respect for it when it wasn't forced down my throat every yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, especially blues. I mean, that's, like... Is that something you just have to like? I mean, it's, it's a cliche thing to say, but like you kind of just have to like feel, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not it's not like an academic thing. And I mean, like yeah, you can break it down, and you can, you know, if you have that knowledge, you can apply it to playing blues. But like ultimately, like that shit doesn't matter, you know. It's just it's about what you can like, you know, what you can say. And it's just I feel like you just have to like listen to the shit. And, yeah, and you gotta get it in your ears. Yeah. yeah, I mean, guys like like you know. Uh, Albert Collins and 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 guys like you know Albert King like there's there's not really an, an explicable method to their madness. You mm-hmm. listen to them play and you're just like I, I don't care what your sense of rhythm or harmony is when you hear them play. You're just like how are you doing that? Right, exactly. You know, yeah. so there was all that, and I would say honestly, man, like I've gotten to a point now where I don't have to think about you know I can explain later now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I've gotten to a point. Now where I feel like I'm starting to really find my sound, but I'm 33. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. It took yeah. me a long time. I got so wrapped. I, I mean, years wrapped up in, in, in like yeah, trying to learn all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. But that's totally fine, man. I mean, you know, everyone's on their own journey. You know. Totally. So it's, you know, it doesn't matter when you get there. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Real quick, can we pause? I have to piss so bad. Yeah, yeah. Are you a fan of dog parks? Well, how about drinking? Because at Canine Social, you can quite literally do both. Located in Jacksonville's Riverside neighborhood, Canine Social offers both indoor and outdoor dog parks with plenty of space for your fur babies to socialize and exercise. Canine Social also has a wide array of local and regionally brewed craft beers on tap, as well as kombucha, nitro coffee, and wine if beer just isn't your thing, like me. Uh, They also offer unparalleled dog training programs with the best in-class trainers of Jet Set University and luxury boarding services as well. Be sure to head to their website at caninesocial.com to find out all the info you need to be sure you and your pup have the best experience available at Canine Social. All right, guys, I want to take a second to talk to you about my favorite music store in Jacksonville. This is Mock Shop Music Exchange. It's a place for true gearheads. They work with some of the most boutique pedal companies on the market, which for someone like me is super important. I love supporting smaller brands, but I also like being able to create my own unique sound. And with the variety of boutique brands these guys work with, it's almost certain you'll find that sound. They not only carry an assortment of pedals, amps, and guitars, they also offer top-notch gear repair with everyone's favorite tech, Mikey. These guys have come through for me in a pinch more than on a few occasions, and I won't spend my money anywhere else. So make sure you guys check out Mock Shop Music Exchange in the Murray Hill neighborhood of Jacksonville. You will not regret it. Super knowledgeable, amazing gear. Check it out and enjoy the experience. All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, Not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, 
you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, uh, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta 8 products. Enjoy, guys. Like I, I, as a student at Texas University, on their Wi-Fi, I can't even download TikTok because of my fucking 
but that's what I'm saying. Is that it's, it's, I mean, you can have it on your phone. You just can't use it on their Wi-Fi, I don't think. It's not going to be it's workable. I, I, it, it, it's that invasive. Like, it, they say that if, you're, like, if, you're, if TikTok is on your phone and you're logged into a Wi-Fi, even if you don't have TikTok on your phone, they can still access the information. That's how invasive TikTok oh, is. Right. Yeah, and, wow. and, 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 and there is, and ByteDance is, is the TikTok company that's who owns TikTok. I mean, there is no, there's no company or industry in China that's not directly connected to the government. Right. You know, it's, it's a communist gov- or socialist government, so there is not one company that exists where, the, where, where they're not involved. And they're obviously harvesting data. Whatever, we're doing the same thing, but it doesn't justify it. I'm <laughs> right. Team America on this one, sorry. <laughs> right. Anyways, what else we got? Alright, why isn't TikTok raising prices? Or TikTok, Spotify. Why aren't they raising prices? Because that's a good question. No, I, I, hold on. Before we read it, let, can I try and guess what the answer is? Oh, well, well, it's probably in the title of the article, but yeah, go ahead and guess. <laughs> no, but one step. Okay. <laughs> right, but this, this is a callback to a previous episode where we talked about something similar to this, right. where TikTok, or not TikTok, Spotify is talking about uh, charging artists now that aren't meeting a certain amount of uh, streams. Like to, to still be on the to platform. Be on the platform. And what the fuck? And the reason why they're doing this, okay, is because they're getting like 100,000 uploads a day. And their servers can't keep up with it, and the vast majority of their streaming is uh, uh, where their streaming is going to is artists like Taylor Swift and right, Kanye. Right. So they're ultimately supporting this entire database of artists that are barely contributing to the pot at all. Right. And they're just like, and they're already artists. underpaying fucking everyone, including the <laughs> the big name artists, including like, them. And so like, so Spotify say, hey guys, we can't afford to keep this up. This is too much data. And we don't have the servers to handle it all. Much less, and even more, you're not contributing a fucking cent. You know, it's, I'll say Side Hustle has, has barely contributed a cent to Spotify's, uh, uh, you know, uh, income. So I'm just saying. Well, mm-hmm. That was quite a callback, but um, I don't think you're right. Okay, what is it? So it looks like firms like uh, Google and Apple on, like, YouTube and Apple Music are raising their prices. Um, so are making tons of money. They can afford to lose a lot of money. And okay, that's just what I said, though. The, 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 they can't compete with with Google and Apple and and uh, and YouTube because th- their platforms offer like several other services that are super profitable. Mm-hmm. So those guys can afford to lose out on the streaming side of it. Spotify offers one service, which is streaming. Right. So they can't keep up. And I forget, does Spotify do um, like I guess obviously if you pay for premium, you don't get ads, but on the unpaid uh, version, ads, they yeah. do ads, okay, yeah. okay. But I don't know, like, how, pro- I mean, it's, like, how much is that contributing to the, like, revenue or whatever, yeah? Yeah, like, it, it can't be, like, in, I mean, compared to what they're making on streaming from Kanye and Taylor Swift with, with like, the, the numbers that we're getting paid out, they mm-hmm. must be, you know, fucking rolling in it with that. <laughs> right, so. right. Damn. Firms like Google, yeah, yeah so... And, like, you know, it's, like you said, I, this is probably, they're not saying it directly, but in terms of, like, the servers and things like um, music yeah, in the whole room. Exactly. It, it grows 44% over the year. Right. So, yeah, they're not outlawing Year over year, every year, it's going mm-hmm. 44%. Yeah, so the next era of Spotify is one where we're adding speed plus efficiency, not just growth at all costs. There you go, guys. <laughs> That's what they're saying right there. 
Uh, Daniel X told investors during their earnings call, that's a big shift, but now we're going to, uh, we're going to have to live up to that. Spotify stock lost more than two-thirds of its value in 2022 and remains down more than 65% compared to its February 2021 high. Wow. It's a disconnect. I mean, also, people were home, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, of course, you're going to be down, but it's, it's wild. It's, it's interesting, though, that, like, you know, there was this whole, the article of, like, erosion, you know, like, charging artists to be on the platform, but they won't up their pricing and just charge the consumer more for the product. Like, they're charging... Yeah, I mean the artist. Yeah, no, it seems like you would make that up on the consumer end, right? right. No, the thing, no, no, no business operates like that. I mean, so for instance, just just as a as a as a uh, as a point of reference, like you guys have credit cards, okay? You guys have rewards on those cards. Yep. Okay, who do you think pays you back on those rewards? It's the business that you're purchasing from pays for that. Gotcha. So if gotcha. I, so when I when I would sell merchandise for side hustle, mm-hmm. it's why I had to like build on an extra five dollars cost if you were using a debit card or a credit card, especially gotcha. a, a rewards card, mm-hmm. because that gets tagged on to my to my overhead. That comes out of your my margin. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Like you think they pass it on to the consumer, but of course they don't. Nobody ever passes it to the consumer. The the, the people that are producing are the ones who get fucked every single time. So, sorry, that's my rant for the night, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, no. I can see. I can see. Be the only one. Yeah, I can see both sides of it. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, yeah, like, just at the rate that Spotify has been going with like fucking over artists, like, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why? Why stop there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> I think there's an argument to be made that like their only real competition is Apple Music, but I also think they're YouTube. Even, uh, I guess YouTube, Amazon Music, and Google. Amazon Music's trash. Yeah, uh, Amazon trash Music's trash. Music, Google Music, Google Play is also trash. Yeah, but I, like people still use it. But I think it's just I think it's like an iPhone versus Android comment. Like I think I like you know everybody everybody that I know ninety percent of them use Spotify. Right. I doubt if it went up a little bit, it would be enough to get someone to move to Amazon or Apple Music instead of like. So so here's the thing: if I'm if I'm Spotify. And I know that every quarter, I, I've been down 65, my shares are down 65% from, from previous quarters and they haven't really gone up at all, but my overhead is rising. Uh, I have investors to answer to. So the last thing I want to do is is possibly scare away customers, by e- especially in today's economy, by even raising it a dollar or $2. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just cut cut the problem off at the source, which is all the artists that are on there for free, right? They're basically just uploading music into a void that no one's hearing. So if I had to answer to investors, I'm not going to take the risk of scaring off, you know, customers when my when my shares are way, way, way down. I'm going to try and figure out a way to, to up my profit as well as uh, instill confidence in my investors and you know, unfortunately, the artists get fucked in that one too. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, I mean, what do you think the artists should do? Like, focus well, more we have on other platforms. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, maybe focus more on, like, YouTube and things like that. Yep. And building a following there. And then once you have enough of, you know, you have enough weight to, like, bring it over to Spotify, maybe. So you could get more, you know, more listens or whatever. Or you just pay whatever monthly fee they're going to charge you as an That's artist. True. If it's 10 or 20 bucks a month or something to do it, right. if you're putting out music that consistently, you know, and you're getting at least you know, a few thousand plays a song that you're putting out, mm-hmm. then you can probably cover that overhead with just that alone. 
and I think, I mean, I think for the vast majority of those people that's going to apply to, they're never going to reach that. All those Probably. people, all of those people that have that, don't have enough friends to be making fucking a dollar. Probably. Spotify. Probably. Right. So then the artist gets fucked. I'm not, I'm not defending Spotify here. I'm just saying their perspective. Like, if I'm thinking about it from their perspective, that's how they're thinking about it. You know I what I mean? It would make, I think it would make more sense rather than to charge those people. Maybe just stop paying them. Like, just, like, you have to have so much before you even get a pay cut. They're not, that's they're not how paying you, them That's like how either. YouTube is, you know? Yeah. Because, like, you have to, um, because I'm kind of, like, dealing with that right now is, like, uh, you know, I'm trying to, like, kind of start a YouTube channel and would, you know, like to have it monetized eventually, but you have to reach, like, a certain number of uh, subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. Yep, there you go. Yep. <laughs> yep. We're not trying for that. Either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, True. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, we're moving into weird territory right now with all that stuff, and I think ultimately what Spotify is going to end up doing is working as more of a, in a label capacity, mm-hmm. and they'll start just signing exclusivity deals with artists, like they did with Joe Rogan in the podcast. Right, right. You know, they'll just do that with artists, and you're, you're, you're just a Spotify artist. And then they can maximize their revenue and, and recoup all of their investment, and I think they'll also reduce any kind of... Uh, they'll, they'll be able to mitigate whatever risk they're taking by letting smaller artists on the platform. True. Do you so, think that'll affect you guys with this podcast? No, most of our listeners uh, are coming from YouTube, gotcha. um, and then I think a second to I think the second is like Apple Podcasts, okay, and sure. then Spotify. Gotcha. I'm not, and we're not seeing any revenue from from any of them, so it doesn't really matter, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm not worried about Spotify at all. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we get off Spotify news, yeah. Um, how about the Grammy Felicia? Fuck yeah. You checking out at all? I got it all. Actually, wait, I've heard a couple things. I've heard a couple so things. So I was kind of impressed this year. It's like, it's not kind of taken over by maybe all of our favorite artists, but they're starting to make a dent. I think oh. uh, Snarky Puppy won, Molly Puddle won Bluegrass, oh, yeah. Robert Glasper won R&B oh, yeah. album, not even jazz, but R&B. Yep. Uh, Willie okay. Nelson won two or three. I saw um, that. Brandy Carlisle got one. Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt got the songwriter. Which written, written by um, Joey Landreth, I think. Oh, really? did on that yeah. song, yeah. Good for him. Yep. It's, it's definitely like a chunk of kind of like artists. Brasno won a Grammy. Yep. Yep. with uh, Rebirth Brasley. Right. Yep. Um, yep. Which is a huge win for this scene because like those guys to me are, are like, are like, you know, accessible still. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I think that's a I think that, that the jam scene fucking has had their fingers in the pop world for a long time and now they're just starting to, to reap the benefits. You know, so yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, for, for sure. Guys. Yeah man, that's so cool. Yeah. It was definitely a big win. I'm trying to pull it up. Ah, here it is. Um annoying to me to see things like Rolling Stone. They put a Bonnie Raitt winning in the what the fuck category. <laughs> what? Um, like there's like the best and worst and what the fuck. And they're like compared to like Lizzo or this and that. It is kind of a what the fuck moment. It is kind of a what the fuck, but if you, I don't know, we're all songwriters. Like you can, you know, we can maybe well, pick I'm our team, favorite. I'm team Bonnie all the way, but just it, sure. it, it, amongst the general populace. Yeah, but if yeah, you look at like, most people that are like, who the fuck is Bonnie Ray? Yeah, <laughs> these days, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, literally. No, I, I get it, but uh, I listened to all the songs, and her song definitely would have been my pick in a blind song. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think we're, we're, we're all in agreement here, but yeah, I mean, most people wouldn't have. It's, it's wild to me. So I'm glad that she won it, though. I, I'm like, 
I'm, I'm stoked that she won it. I'm stoked that, like, everybody who's been winning has earned it, I feel like. There's, there's something happening now where I think through alternative media sources and alternative uh, platforms to discover art, I think that uh, the mainstream is having to compete in a world that they're not used to. Yeah. So now yeah. they have to, like, they have to compete, but I guess real musicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of competing against musicians, it's I don't think some of these artists are even aware of these musicians. Because this kind of happened this week when I was watching it. Yeah, I saw you typing that out. <laughs> Chris Brown lost R&B record to Robert Glasper, and Chris Brown went and posted, who the fuck is Robert Glasper? One of the fucking greatest musicians of our generation, and, and Chris so Brown. You would, <laughs> I would at least assume that if you're up for these, like, in the same category, you've at least got, like, an awareness of who's who. But apparently, apparently not. You know? No, I, mean, I, I think some context is needed there. It, it could also be like, like Robert Glasper won. Who the fuck is Robert Glasper? Yeah, not not like he doesn't know who he is, yeah, but like I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand that that other context. I, I feel like it's that, like you've never heard you've never heard anybody say like who the fuck is that guy? Even though they know exactly. No, who no, that no. Person no. Is. It was I guess I, I, I don't know. I was looking more into it. Like, it didn't seem like that was the guy. It was more of a literal like like. Yeah. Who, like, he then turned around and DM'd him and was like, I'm sorry if you felt offended or something like that. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's that case, but I don't, I don't find it interesting. Uh, I read a different article and I still didn't find that. He then tried to, like, everyone kind of gave him shit and he tried to pivot and say it was, like, the industry's fault or something like that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe that was it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these, a lot of these pop artists, man, live in a fucking bubble musically, you know, like, I heard an interview with Pharrell one time where they asked him what kind of music he listened to, and he's like, oh, you know, I just, I don't really listen to, I just listen to, like, what I'm producing at the moment. <laughs> so he's not, like, it's like, okay, so, so you're not, like, I, like, I, I go through through times where I'm not listening to a lot of music either, because, but, like, then I go down rabbit holes as well, so right. I think you have to have, like, a give and a take, mm-hmm. but for somebody who's kind of setting trends and is kind of the tastemaker of our culture. Right. I mean, I would hope you're, like, drawing influence from, from like, music at all. You know? Yeah. Like, what do you <laughs> know? Hopefully good stuff, but, like, you know. Yeah, so you're just relying on, like, the bank of knowledge that you, that you had from when you were younger. Maybe you listened to some good shit when you were growing up, and that's what you're pulling from. It's wild to me, you know. Well, I'm stoked for where the industry's going, though. I like to see a lot of the people in the jam scene getting their come up. You know? Absolutely, man. Uh... Like Corey Wong had some Grammys last year, which is super exciting, and I know that they were in the running this year for some stuff. So, Joni and Katie Beck got nominated this year. Oh, sweet, nice, dude! I went, to, I went to Berkeley uh, at the same time uh, those two did. Oh, like, really? I, I would, I would see like uh, Joni just like walking around the halls, going to class and shit, and, like in the cafeteria at Berkeley. Like, yeah, like when when she, when she first uh, got there, it was uh, my second semester uh, when she when she got there, and like. There was this uh, like viral video that came out um, of her in one of the uh, one of the like practice rooms at Berkeley. Yeah. And I mean, you guys know the uh, the legendary Corey Henry uh, Lingus yeah. keyboard solo. Course, yeah. He uh, or she um, was just like on a piano, like had had that like laid on front of her, written down, and like sight read it. Like literally just sight read that entire solo. And she played it with like and the same kind it, of like, like feel. And yeah, well, it was on an acoustic piano, like an upright piano. Oh, so, okay. You know what I mean? So, but as much as best as you can do that on an upright piano, like yeah, wow. it was like note for note, like fucking perfect. Wow. Thing like that, yeah. That, like I remember when like that, you know, came out and like everyone was freaking out, like this chick is insane, wow. <laughs> you know. And then like here she is, like working with Anderson Pack and all those guys, you know. Yeah, man. So awesome. 
thinking about going to other places sometimes and connecting in that world, but I'd love to fucking be operating and moving in, at that level, you know what I mean? So like, I mean, like, obviously creativity, but just, and also, like, the money. Yeah, resources, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, man, uh, I know you're uh, playing with Smokestack now, and speaking of smoke, Smokestack, this was Denton's amplifier right here. I, I was looking at that. I was wondering if that was his, man. I saw that basement. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, we, we miss him. You know, I think about him all the time, man. Every gig, you know. Yeah, miss man. him every day. Yeah, he was, yeah. A, he was a good fucking dude and just, like, a world-class musician. Oh, my God. He could, like, play anything, man. And and sing, like, one of those guys that could do, like, anything. Like, he could play blues. He could play country. Yep. He, could, like, yeah. he had, like, this jazzy kind of thing going on, too. Especially on drums, dude. I mean, he, he like, yeah. was straight up, like, a jazz drummer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he, I mean, he played with the Glenn, uh, Glenn, Glenn Miller Orchestra yep. for a little bit. I mean, yeah, dude, just such a loss. I mean, such a sweet guy. Like, could be kind of a dick sometimes, too. A little bit moody, but, oh, like... he was a moody guy. I but, think that was definitely part of his reputation, but, I mean, hey, man, people are in pain, and people hurt, and people got different stories, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, also, like, artists at that, like, he was an artist, you know what I mean? Absolutely. A great writer, singer, guitar player. I mean, like, people that are that talented are just not always... Not always, like, <laughs> yeah. You know? Never not you know, right. Yeah. Totally. So, I worked with him at Guitar Center for, you know, first few years. That was really? The first year that I lived here anyways. Yeah. I mean, I had all kinds of uh, shit with him. <laughs> but it was also yeah. like one time he came, like I, I was playing a gig somewhere I posted and he just like came out just to hang out. Yeah. And he just like sat there support, just, yeah. yeah, and just talked all night. And then yeah, I put out a fucking thing on Facebook one time. I needed a an amplifier for this for a friend of mine that we were doing a tour with mm-hmm. and Denton was the only person to hit me up and say, hey man, I got this for you if you want it. He came over, he dropped yeah. it off and then when we got back from the tour, I kept hitting him up and say, hey man, I got your amp. He said, I'll, I'll let you know when I need it. And yep. obviously... Yeah, I never yeah. got around to it. I know, man. Yeah, it was such a shame. It, dude, it was, it was crazy. Like, I, I played with him um, two nights before his car accident and, um, oh, dude, it was trippy because, like, he... I think he was like, so I had actually just, I mean, not to like, you know, not to be like pity party, but like that, the week before that, I actually had a cousin of mine pass away, um, and uh, he was like a pretty big musical influence on me and stuff, and, but anyway, point is like, uh, I, you know, I, he was, Denton was kind of like, you know, me and him were kind of talking about that, and he was kind of like helping me through it, and talking about like um, one of his close, you know, relatives that he was close to that that uh, died and was and it was basically that like the last time I saw him we were talking about like it's crazy man you just never know when you know you just you know life's so fragile you could just go like that you know and then like that was the last time I saw him you know we were talking about shit like that that's so, so wild man yeah just such a shock but yeah yeah I have um I have his left Paul Jr. and um I bring that to pretty much every smokestack gig and that's kind of like you know I always think of him whenever I pick that thing up, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, it wasn't, like, a guitar that he was really, like, you know, known for playing or, like, that he'd had for that long, but, but still, like, yeah. It's uh, something, you know, like, you have the amp, I have the guitar. It's just something that we can kind of, like, carry on and, you know, we're custodians of and can help remember him by, you know what I mean? That's what Jack was always saying. It's like, Denny just left pieces of himself with everybody. Yeah. Like, everyone's got something. It yeah. feels like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Smokestack, of, of course, you know, never the same after after he passed, which I think that's like, you know, any kind of, you, know, you always hear with any band where, you know, 
they lose a member, like whether it's Allman Brothers or like Jesse Trust with Kofi, like you kind of you can it'll never it can never be the same, you know. You kind of just have to like, um, you know, come to terms with it and just sort of find a new, you know, just go in a different direction. With with most it's like. You know, it's still it's still ultimately the same kind of like similar genre of music and stuff like that. Maybe a little bit less country influenced, you know, since he's left us. But like, um, but yeah, I mean, we've we've and since he uh, since he died, we've got Derek Mains on keys now. Yeah. And uh, for a while there, we had Caitlin McWilliams, which she uh, had a baby, so she kind of was on hiatus for a while. She's starting to play with us some more again, which is really cool. We actually oh, yeah. just had a rehearsal last night, and she uh, she joined, um, which is awesome to have her playing again. But but yeah, you know, you can just never fill a role like that. You just kind of have to like, you know, just kind of have to find a different path totally. to take. So, but it's been, you know, it's it's been going well overall, and um, you know, I think we've we've kind of settled into this into a new thing, and we're we're really happy with it. And we're kind of uh, right now um, trying to work up some new repertoire and um, start to work on some original stuff, and hopefully expand out from just kind of the Jacksonville St. Augustine area. And uh, hopefully get on some more festivals and things like that, and hopefully use this kind of like online sort of attention that I've gotten to kind of like help promote the band too. So yeah, man, yeah, yeah. you got to use that leverage while you got it. Exactly. You know I mean, yeah. that's, yep. that's fucking that's that's the modern day equivalent of getting discovered. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you got a lot to work with there. So I hope uh, I hope that it works out and you guys continue to to grow and you continue to grow and you find all the success you're looking for, man. Well, thank you so much, man, and likewise. Appreciate it, man. Let's do some unpopular opinions. We're going to do a little jam, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for Fuck sure. Fuck yeah. All right, so we'll do some unpopular opinions. Are you familiar with this segment? Um, I mean, not, not specifically with you guys, but actually I did see a clip I actually wanted to bring out. Please do. Let's I, talk about I it for a second. I saw the clip, man. I kind of talked to you about the... Oh, let's talk about it right the, now. The uh, <laughs> Dwayne Almond solo on Layla. Yeah. Man, I feel like that's like I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I hear fucking everyone say that. Do you really? I've heard a lot of people say that that, they, that that's like the worst guitar solo, which I don't think it is. I kind of get it. Like I can see, I, you know, it's very high pitched and screechy sounding. But I mean, have you heard like the isolated track of like what he's you know yeah. like just that? Yeah, it's bad. I mean, I don't think so, dude. I think he's playing some pretty intense melodic shit. Without know? context, I'm, it's fine. But like when you put it in context, you're like okay, this isn't in key. Like you're not playing. Like this doesn't. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it is, bro. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've heard one person tell me that it was that it was like a bad solo, mm-hmm. and that, and I went. I, I disagree with him. I, I went back and listened to it again, and I was like, holy shit, you're right. Like this is just. He's like not. There's some moments where it's like in. There's a lot of moments where it sounds like he's trying to hit something. He's like not quite hitting it. Just barely yeah. like off. I mean, it's definitely not perfect, you know. And like like I said, it is it is pretty screechy, yeah. <laughs> you know. But I just think I don't know. I, I still think it's classic. I get it. it yeah. Classic, but the the whole song, like that whole song, I love that song. I still love that section. Right. You know, and Dwayne Allman is still to me one of the greats. Like he's one. Like I wouldn't be who I am as a player without him. Mm-hmm. Right hold him in such high regard. Right. However, that's not, that wasn't his best, uh, that best moment, <laughs> it was a hard realization for me to come to. I, I denied it and I heard it back yeah, and I was like, yeah. I can't deny this anymore. 
Uh, so, anyways, yeah, I mean, I, I get it, you know, I get it. Like, it's, I'm, I'm not like, you know, yeah. But like, and I mean, that's you know, with Dwayne in general. I mean, there there are some recordings you listen to where he like he's, he's kind of fucked up and he's not like you know, like he's he's not like this impenetrable like perfect you know. When he was 20 years old, 21, 22 yeah, years old, exactly. You know what I mean? And then like. And also a heroin junkie. Exactly. Yeah, I was gonna say like, yeah. dude, those Layla sessions, they were probably like, who knows what the fuck they were. I, they were shooting up and snorting up. They, record, <laughs> yeah. they recorded a lot of that down in Miami mm-hmm. at um, Criteria. I Criteria think. used to be now it's called the Hit Factory. Oh, okay. Um, cool. And uh, and yeah, like, and my dad was in that whole scene, so like, I've met guys who were there when they mm-hmm. were recording and stuff, and they tell you the stories of just fucking mounds of cocaine. And just oh like, God. like the, and just how fucked up those guys just were all the time. So you know, I, I, I give them a little bit of grace on that for sure. Yeah, and I think you can, you can hear it in that album. I think that's a coke album, you know, because totally. it it's just like every idea all at once. <laughs> you yeah, know, is kind of the theme of that album. Definitely, like, that. five guitar tracks all happening at once, and definitely, just, you know, and even Clapton's voice. As much, as much as I love it, right? Like, just this is one of those moments for me where like. I love what he did uh, on that record mm-hmm. um, vocally. However, he's reaching and he's struggling, yeah. and it kind of you know emotes this pain he's going through, which to me translates yeah. to like what the album's about. Yeah, right. So, so it works for me, but I can, but if his singer was like that's an atrocious performance, I would <laughs> like, get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So but yeah, I just I don't know. That, that's one of my all-time favorite albums. Though, like works and all, you know. Yeah. It's a masterpiece, I think. Totally, totally. So. All right, unpopular opinions. Let's fucking do it. You guys got any unpopular opinions back there? Uh, I think that um, it started with the avid inbox, but I think at-home studio interfaces uh, not only ruin studio recording, but is making music worse. Do you think that's mm-hmm. an unpopular opinion? Maybe I don't know. Uh, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. You hear almost everyone's got a home studio now, and yeah. you're hearing like the hype. Like, um, what was it? Billie Eilish won a Grammy for something she recorded in her home studio, which is kind of like every. I hear it all the time in terms of like people pushing reasons to get a home studio. Right. Yeah, and just kind of the like, just kind of the sentiment of like, oh, it's all in the artist's hands now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you don't need to have a big record label and a big studio to make a like a good sounding record. Like, you know, I, you hear that a lot. So. Which I mean, I kind of agree with, but like I, I, I hear where you're coming from, though. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a lot of technology, uh, you know, that that's pretty passable. That in the right hands, it doesn't matter where you're at, you can do magic with it, right? But that being said, I gu- I guess I see what you're saying. Like just the sentiment of, you know, you can get a little, you know, avid. Or like an inbox or whatever, and just uh, and get Pro Tools or Logic or whatever it is you want to use, and just record something direct in and call it, and just you know write a record. That sentiment is being pushed, and I think that yeah, ultimately it definitely floods the uh, you know the pool with a lot of trash. You yeah. know the, the, the gatekeepers do. I, I I was on a podcast the other day, I had this conversation with somebody, and I was like. You know, first off, the gatekeepers aren't totally irrelevant anymore. Um, and second off, I don't think that they're, like, all bad. Right. There's a lot of filtering that happens for good reason. You know, so I, I, I guess I can agree with Eugene. I think a lot of artists would, would agree with that sentiment, though, at the same time. Because I've heard a lot of guys say that, especially the older guys. Everyone with a fucking inbox and just, like, record <laughs> their fucking right. album now. 
nowadays, you know? Yeah, I would I would say it's not making music worse. It's maybe just making, like, it sound worse yeah. overall. Because, I mean, I think overall it's a good thing creatively because people who may not have had the means to, who are really talented who may not have had the means to, like, put out a record before can now do it, you know? Right. So I think it's, in that sense, I think it's a good thing. But, like, in terms of, like, an audiophile, like, mixing type perspective, I can I say I can agree with it, you know? Yeah. What's your threshold on what would be considered good phone recording stuff, though? Like, how far of chain do you have to go before it's like, all right, I'll let this go? I mean, I was watching uh, $4,000. It was a good <laughs> Oh, are you, oh you, that was just a random. <laughs> or, yeah, are you talking about dollar sign, or are you just talking about, like, yeah, I mean, essentially, essentially dollar sign, like, what, you know? I don't know. In terms of, like, you know, um, you yeah, have like, to have a preamp for every... Like a universal Apollo, like is that enough or like is that? I think that, that would be su- sufficient enough, especially if you have like good plugins. That's what I have, you know. Yeah. yeah, if you have good plugins and like you're you're an engineer that knows how to like work it. Right. Like, know that's, that's the important part. Every everything is a tool. You yeah, know what I mean? mm-hmm. and you have to know what tool to grab. Like you know, you yep. can't you can't screw screw up screw with a, a hammer. Right? Totally. I, yeah. Totally. Can't pick one up. That is the equivalent of, of someone in a studio being like, oh, we'll fix that in a minute. We'll fix the rest, guys. Fix the rest. Right. 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 I'm, I'm just saying that like half these SoundCloud rappers wouldn't even exist. Speaking of we'll fix it in post, that's what Tom Dowd did on Layla. And I think the other part of my opinion, which wasn't as unpopular, which is that like it is it is breaking down uh, the, uh, the actual concept of the recording studio. Mm-hmm. And something I've talked about with, with my boss, you know, dealing with live production, he used to be in the studio type world, and then he was like, pretty much as soon as the Abbott inbox came out, studios no longer became profitable above a certain level. Yeah. Like, you've got to have a, a, like a crazy amount of gear and an incredible space and, you know, some, you know a, a lot of other things in order to make it actually profitable. Other than that, there's just no money in it. That's, again, maybe not an awful thing either, right? Because there's a lot of people, and me being one of them early on, early on that would just, like, go, that, like, people would have these, you know, home studios that weren't necessarily just, like, an unbox. It was, like, it would have, like, a legit setup, you know, quote-unquote. <laughs> but you're spending, like, fucking $75 an hour to track stuff. And then you're, but you're, at the end result, you're getting, it sounds like it's going to home studio versus like spending marginally more money going to a legit studio. And then I, I oh, think that... Sounds like pro, like actually pro. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like I could think of several scenarios where that happened for me. And to me, it's almost like you just... Like what, what's happened is that you just kind of uh, filtered out these, stu- these wannabe legit studios <laughs> from <laughs> right. taking money and then just forcing people to either spend the real money to get a real product or make your own studio, create, you know... Probably just be real dog shit, and then put it out in the world. Yeah, I don't know. Look at like Volpec though, man. I mean, oh yeah, they like they went from like you know YouTube to selling out Madison Square Garden completely independent. I mean, you know, some of their later stuff has been in real studios, but like that early stuff that got them recognized, just like in fucking like living rooms with <laughs> you know. Totally. Real super basic setups. I love those guys, man. Yeah, they're, they're, they're amazing. They've taken every aspect of their brand 
and just like further monetized it. Yeah. You know, they've yep. created partnerships and they've got the social media stuff. And Corey Wong is now doing his thing. Geocaching's doing his thing. It's all under the Wolf umbrella, mm-hmm. and all it still keeps a certain aesthetic. Yep. It's just it's so and brilliant. It's just independent. Yeah. It's gross. I love those guys. Yeah, it's great, man. It's great. Anyways, good on popular opinion, Jim. I like that one. Cool. Thanks. Uh, Chris, what you got, bro? Alright, this is a little off the off the cuff, but um, festivals, music festivals, don't give you your bang for buck on music. <laughs> um, not, any, not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, a lot of people are always hyping up. All oh, this festival's great. I'll pay four hundred bucks for a ticket, uh, hundred and fifty bucks to park, and then I got to get my supplies. You're yeah, spending like what six, seven hundred bucks just to go and be a listener. But with six or seven bucks, the concerts I could go pick out and hand select and see. Where you might be getting a better product because, like, you think about the festival set. Like, well, if one guy, if one band runs over and your whole timeline's screwed, and and the way festivals are now with four stages or whatever, like yeah. you are, you are guaranteed to have to make concessions. Yeah. Right. You basically yeah. want to pick the one band, like one or two bands that you really want to see, and then like that's it. Right? Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to spend that much money, I want to see like an incredible show, and like a lot of these bands have to put together a festival set. So it's not like maybe what they would do on their, you know, hour and a half club show, theater show, whatever. Right. So, like, I think it's a little bit of a cheaper show that's, like, appealing to the general audience. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you are, you're, you're getting a discounted price, though, if you think about it, right? I mean, if, if you're spending like five artists. Right? Yeah, per artist. But, yeah. Like you're but you're, not, you're not seeing all those artists. Exactly. You, yeah, you can't you see every single artist. And yeah, you would see a lot of those, like, if you were, you know, could just pick that. Even if you had, let's say, you had three or four, like, you know, headliners or close to headliners that you wanted to go see, chances are you can make that work. At uh, least three or four. At least I'm not saying if you have 20 people that you want to see, it's not going to happen. But if you have three or four, like, big names you want to see and you're able to make it work, that, to me, is worth it. $100 a show? Yeah, for a 45-minute set. I mean, a lot. If you're a headlining act, you're not playing 45 yeah, minutes. You're probably playing an hour, an hour. Yeah, and I mean, for a lot of people, that might be the only chance they get to see that band, you know, and exactly. I mean, that might be worth it alone. You know? Especially in smaller towns. Like, you know, you've got people playing at Swanee. You know, Janelle Monet played at Swanee one year. And you think, like, I've never seen her come to Jacksonville right. or, right. like, Gainesville or, like, anywhere in Daytona. This is a way for all these people to get together and see like these acts that will, that will never come to their market, you know. So, I don't know. I see what you're saying, but I think that even though you're getting a discount experience, you're paying a discounted rate. So, to me, I think you're getting uh, probably close to what it's worth. I would say that the camping alone uh, waters down that experience drastically. Oh, yeah. I mean, and how people pay $500 to go primitive camping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you even enjoy a set after day two? Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. It's like you're paying that much money to be, like, uncomfortable as fuck for a weekend. <laughs> yeah, man. Full <laughs> Room is one of the hardest times I've ever had. We played, I think it was a Saturday early afternoon, and I got there uh, Wednesday. Bad move. <laughs> yeah, by the time you play, you're, like, exhausted. I didn't sleep, bro. I was camping with fucking heathens. I love you guys to death. You're my <laughs> boys. But heathens I was camping with. <laughs> oh, my God. And, uh... 
Uh, no, I had a great time. It was fun, but by the time it was showtime, man, I was like not there. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's exhausting. For me, it's exhausting. For me, it's funny because it's like uh, before I started working festivals, I never really went to any because the price was never. Uh, it was never valuable to me. Like it was never worth. Like just as I was just saying, it was never worth it. I was like, I'm an alternative camp, and I'm only going to see like a couple bands. Yeah. But like now that I work festivals, I love it because yeah. <laughs> it's great. I can go anywhere, and then when you know, I go back to the tour bus when I'm done. And not just you know like in a in a tent. You know? So I'm like yeah. I'm like I love like uh, I had, like one of the festivals that I did Gulf Coast Jam. I was like this is so much fun. And then I'm walking around. And I'm like I would never want to be a. I would never want to just come here. Like like I, I like how I've got it right now. Yeah. And that was going to be the flip side of my unpopular opinion is that like artists and even productions definitely get the better end of the deal of festivals. Not just for like living accommodations, but like. They get to network and like meet each other and possibly jam and sit in. Well, we get paid too. Yeah, and you get paid. That's all great. But like yeah, the money, the money's no object. But no, it's. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's just. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I went. To, I, I paid for one festival, and that was that was Wani back in 2017. And that was last. That was the only one that I, that I paid for. Everything else I've been to, I've played, mm-hmm. and that's not by accident. You know, <laughs> right? Like I'm not like I'm also a musician who doesn't have a lot of expendable income, so I don't have five hundred dollars to drop on just you know losing money for an entire weekend. But I can't go to a festival because most likely I need to be working a different one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I can't take the time. Oh, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. But yeah, a good unpopular opinion, Chris. I like that one. What you got, Dylan? <laughs> so. My unpopular opinion is that guitar pedals suck. Oh, that is super unpopular. Holy God, one. So I want. So that's a. Uh, that's kind of a generalization. I don't think all guitar pedals suck, but um, I guess I'm. Don't try and backtrack now. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. So like, um, in particular, I just can't get behind most overdrive pedals, um, because like. I, you know, the players that I love the most and I grew up listening to, such as Wayne Allman, Derek Trust, Ricky Beth, Warham, all of their tones are, for the most part, guitar, chord, amp cranked up. You right. know what I mean? Like, tube amp turned up real loud and getting the natural overdrive that way. And so, pretty much my entire, like, gigging career, I've, like, you know, intentionally emulated that. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, obviously I have to use kind of smaller amps. I can't, you know, wheel a 50-watt Marshall into, like... I was about to say, your monitor engineer must <laughs> love you. So, so, I just, I don't know, man. I just think that literally no overdrive pedal can emulate the feel and the sound and the response of a cranked-up tube amp. There are some that are great. I actually, um, they're, you know, that are really good and they get close. Like, I actually just, um, I don't know if you yeah, guys have heard pretty good. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't feel like a tube amp though. It's like it's got this weird PT kind of mid-range thing to me. But like um, the uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of Mythos pedals. Yeah. Um, that he just sent me his um, Olympus overdrive pedal, which is kind of like um, I forget what circuit it's supposed to be kind of like replicating, but it kind of has like a tweed, like a Fender tweed like breakup to it, and that one's pretty solid. I tried it at a gig plugged into my Super Reverb with, like, nothing else, just, like, pedal, you know, like, just sitting on top of the amp. And that was really good, but it's still just, like, it just doesn't quite have that, like, kind of that squishiness, that that responsiveness, that touch sensitivity, and, like, um, 
you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of like a biased opinion just because like for the type of stuff that I play, I can get away with it, and like the band that I play, and I can get away with plugging into the tube amp and trying yeah, to get, totally. you know, with our setup and everything. And I understand how like you know, there's a lot of types of music where. Um, you know, that just doesn't work, and you got to be able to have, like, pure, crystal clean tones and yeah, high stages and, and all that, and, yeah. and all, you know, and they can be creative tools, but I just think they suck. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a true blues man. <laughs> blues Nazi. Yeah, man, I fucking know you guys all too well. Um, okay, here's what I'll, I got a lot to, to, to unpack here. Here's what I'll say is I agree with you on a lot of overdrive pedals. I, even beyond or on a more surface level than what you just said, they are just absolute tone sucks. Mm-hmm. There is no better overdrive than just pushing a tube amp. Exactly. Uh, exactly. A, a lot of that just has to do with uh, electrics and just like you're changing the impedance of what's going into the amp and the amp's just going to react in a completely different way. Totally. Yep. Yep. But there's some pedals that can do it better than others, though. Most overdrive pedals I've played just they suck everything out. Yeah. yeah. They, to me, like most of them, they just have this kind of like, I don't know, it just sounds too, it just sounds like an artificial kind of sound. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like a little bit abrasive. Whereas like, um, you know, a crank tube amp, it just has this like kind of, I don't know, softness around the edges to it that just, I don't know, it just sounds better to me. Yeah, totally. But, um, and it's also, you know, it also depends on where you're playing and like how you can access that, right? Yeah. It's like if I'm, I have a, I have a deluxe reverb, it's 22 watts. Right. Right. I can't, I can't get it to a volume where it's gonna break up in right. any reasonable like bar setting, right? Right. Now if I'm at a festival stage, it's arguably not loud enough. Just right. right? Because like, but like those compress real early. Like, my, like mine's supposed to break up at like four, mm-hmm. and, and and then beyond that, it's not even volume. It's just compression. It sounds. God awful, right? Which is the speaker most of the time, but um, that—that's a—I mean, that's that's another not unpopular opinion, but like people don't think about this enough. Um, the speaker that's in your amp makes like almost more difference than the amp itself. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like I've spent way too much money swapping out all different types of speakers into my amps, and it really is eye-opening, like just how much of a difference it can make towards like getting the sound you want, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. It's crazy. Westbrook turned me on to all that. Because, mm-hmm. like, I didn't really, th- I mean, I obviously, like, I knew people switched out speakers and all that, but I didn't realize, like, how important it was. And he's oh, showing yeah, me. I'm a total nerd about that, too. <laughs> I, 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 like, he, he's showing me, like, one deluxe reverb that he has versus another one that has this one versus this. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, They sound like two shit. different amps. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, the headroom alone, it's like, Fuck wattage, <laughs> right? It's your speaker, yeah. Speaker efficiency, yeah. It's insane, man. Yeah. But I, I agree with your take uh, to an extent. I think that if you're, you know, if you're playing in a band like Wilco, you need delays and you need more effects yeah, to color your sound, and you know that's a whole different side of it where mm-hmm. you can get really creative. You know, like you know, you two, the Edge is revolutionary. Yeah, with effects. Exactly. The yeah. guy plays two notes and creates these soundscapes that like nobody else. Do. Absolutely. I was going to say, and I mean, other, uh, even other like slide guitar players who play similar kind of stuff, like Joey Landris, um, he has like that, like his fucking spaceship pedal board, and he can, he creates so many amazing sounds with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's such a part of his, like, actually, I've, I've been in touch with him. He reached out to me, and I've been like, I did like, I did like it. Like, me and him, like, talked on FaceTime for a while. Like, the just sweetest, most nice guy ever. He's like my, like, 
guitarist, therapist. <laughs> like he just has so much like advice and just like perspective and stuff. But anyway, we we talked about gear too, and like that's that's his whole thing is like it's just uh you know for him pedals are just a, like another like way to express his creativity and just find new sounds and be able and just it's part of the songwriting you know process. So it's like so it's like I, I guess you know when I say pedal suck, it's like I don't want other people to stop using pedals. It's just like most of them are just not for me. And like the type of stuff that I play, I just you know. I just like going straight into an amp. Maybe like reverb. Like, I have a reverb pedal. Like I have a Simon Flint that I just put on top of my amp, nice. and that's always on. But other than that, I just yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I get that. You know, I've been actually wanting to mess around with more pedals than trying to get into like <laughs> yeah. a different creative space. You know, but mm-hmm. yeah, I feel that. Yep. That's definitely solid. And solid. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, Chris, you got you want to weigh in on that one at all? Um. Yeah. I mean, I definitely get all those tips. Um. Like some of my pl- favorite players, modern players, like um, like uh, Mark Latiri is big on my list right now, mm-hmm. and he's he's always using different types of overdrives. And there's one I've got that he and also uh, James Hogan, my professor at UNLV, really recommending this one is the uh, the Dude DJ Rocket Audio, and it's very it's a it's like a double clone, and reacts really similarly to like how an amp reacts, like it, it reacts to your right hand super well, um, and it's got a lot of range you can play with using that, so it's, I think if you're going to use them, it's like really doing the due diligence and finding one that works for your sound. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 just saying, yeah, just saying like, oh, everyone should go out and buy a two-string. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, just like, uh, two-string would be, yeah, no better thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. that's, that's the one compromise I'll make on it, but I, you know, I definitely... You know, I have my pedal board a good bit. I've been on the on the Monday gig that I play. I I have not been bringing a pedal board out since about I don't know August or September. So it's, like, good. it's a good, good exercise. Healthy. Like, yeah, it's no, it's great. <laughs> I love it as an it's exercise. Like getting your greens, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like fucking the mental gym. illness that you have of, of pedals <laughs> yeah. and delays, right? <laughs> yeah, I see how my yeah. legs stand up, and some of them stand up, and then. I get to go to my gigs and go, ah, my lips are back. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and for me, I also just love simplicity in, in my setup in general. Yeah. I just don't like stepping on shit, you know what I mean? Like, even if it does get the sound, I just would rather just not have to step on shit. I'd rather would just control it from my guitar. Yeah, totally. Have my amp set, how it's set, and then just control it from the guitar, you know? Totally. So. I, I'm very much in, in that vein, to be honest with you. Like, I don't, I mean, I want to start experimenting more with them because there's a lot of, like, like styles of music that I like to listen to that I think would require that if I want to write in that way. Uh, that being said, my pedal board consists of an overdrive pedal, a compressor, and then I have a, uh, a delay on there that I use just to wet my solos up. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't like get all fancy and crazy with stuff, so I definitely get that sentiment. Um, simple for me is better. I'm also a terrible multitasker. <laughs> yeah. so. I mean, because you sing too, I can't imagine having to like, you know, play, fuck with pedals, sing, you know what I mean? And a lot of times I'm yeah. playing lead parts like while I'm singing. Yeah, I like that. It's just a lot of shit to do. Yeah. Yeah, then you gotta fucking entertain a crowd. It's, 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 yeah. yeah, that's why I just need to, if you're looking for a guitar player for your already established touring band, let me know, <laughs> because I just need to not be a front guy for a little while. <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. Flip it. Flip it. Alright, um, my unpopular opinion, this is one that I just came up with recently, is that uh, I think that Imagine Dragons gets way too much fucking hate from musicians. Uh, so don't say them. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know what they sound like, dude. <laughs> them. Like, I can't name one song. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, yeah, don't listen to that kind of thing. Um, 
they just I, so when it, I, I I agree with you, Anton. I like Imagine Dragons. I was when their first album came out, Night Visions. Like I was totally into that. I listened to that album a lot. Like I think there's some good tracks on that album. Are they poppy? Are they annoying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like I don't give a shit. I still like it. Their the, the latest album that they put out is phenomenal from a production standpoint and just like the, the way the songs are arranged and everything I mean it's for a pop record it's super creative like just the just the choices that were made I'm just like what why did you do that but I can't even like even if it's not a choice that I would have made or like even something that I would have thought about that's what's intriguing to me right it's just right. jarring and hard to listen to almost but at the same yeah, time it like challenges you which is you know we need to be challenged sometimes. Totally, you know? man. It's cool. Get out of your comfort zone. Totally. And it's cool to see it in the pop realm. And uh, I've just encountered a lot of people. Where Imagine Dragons, which gets almost this kind of hate that Nickelback got for a long time. <laughs> right. You know what so I mean? People without even really listening to them, they just, like, jump on the bandwagon, like, oh, Nickelback sucks. Like, totally. Yeah. Totally. And to me, on both fronts, I think they're both very well-polished pop bands. Right. I mean, like, you're going to hate on Nickelback. It's like, okay, maybe you don't like their songs, but to say that they suck. Like, that's insane. Right, yeah. I mean, they're so good at what they did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Anyways. So, yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm, I have no opinion there. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even tell you what they sound like, you know? Yeah, I feel so like. I bet you, I'm sure if, like, I heard something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I've heard them, but, like. Yeah. But, yeah. What about, what about you, Chris? Um, you know, I, I won't, I won't hate too hard. I mean, like, I definitely moved away from the sound they're going for, because I moved away from a lot of pop in general, uh, kind of kind of coming back to it, but like, like Gene was saying, that Night Visions record, when that first came out, I was trying to listen to stuff like that, and they had like an acoustic EP of those tunes, and like, that kind of won me over to them, because they could go out and play those songs just as a band, like I, like my version of the band was used to sounding like, and I was like, oh, these guys are dope. What's, and what's that one song that they do, because uh, I remember that's how I discovered about the Dragon, because they did an acoustic cover of that, like... They did an acoustic cover of that, and it was all like mandolin and banjo and shit, and it was just them in a room, and it was dope. That was the first thing that I that I I saw them. Yeah, so I don't know. They kind of they kind of won me over in terms of like just them as a band. Like they could hold up their composition. Oh wow! My business is 2012. Yeah, Yeah, that came that came out a while ago. I was I was in high school when that came out. Yeah, Um, six months ago. Um, so I haven't heard that record. I would imagine, uh... For you, that's like where Radioactive came from. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of those, those albums. Yeah. Now, if you guys listen to Mercury, Acts 1 and 2, it's... That's their new stuff? Yeah, it's kind of a pop masterpiece. I'll have to check it out. Man. Yeah. I mean, you turned me on to Dua Lipa, and I like that, so... Oh, she's fucking dope. Yeah, yeah. she is dope. Um, anyways, that's my unpopular opinion. Uh, if you guys don't like Imagine Dragons, you go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, alright, let's get this fucking jam and do some shit. Let's do it, man. Cool. Hell yeah. Alright, we'll be back in just a few moments. Thank you. 
Thank you.